Sorry for my lateness. Oh, no, it's great. I, I take pride in my punctuality, so I apologize. That's yeah. true? You're, you're not that late, are you? I'm a little late. 2.45 is supposed to be 2. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm so fucking busy that I did barely even noticed that you were that yeah, late. Yeah, I shouldn't because... have brought it to your attention there. No, no, it's great. <laughs> Let's talk about Louisville. That's what I'm interested in, bro, because back in the day, Louisville was like the mecca for us because they had the sickest skate park when I was like 19, and it was like brand new, and we were still so do. excited to go there to ride that shit. It's huge. I didn't know it was recognized on a national level like that. Like, we were geeked up off of it because there weren't that many skate parks that had like really good ledges and shit like that back in the day. The extreme park, huh? Mm. You ever heard of this brand Shitluck? Uh-uh. And there was like this company Metal Bikes that were both based out of Louisville too and they were like really big BMX companies for us at the time. We were super into it. Totally unfamiliar. Damn, that was our, I, I totally understand that. <laughs> that was our uh, main, like, cultural reference point for Louisville at that time. But wh what was it like growing up out there? Talk to me about this. Well, you know, um, I guess growing up in Louisville, just to get right into it, I think a lot of people who had this association with Louisville. It's in Kentucky. People think you're from the country. Anywhere in Kentucky, we're from the city. There's yeah. a million people in Louisville. I've harped on this before, and I'm going to continue to harp on it because, you know, we're trying to get it up there, but a lot of people in Louisville feel kind of misunderstood because they're boxed into this sort of um, this Kentucky box of country. Is that weird? Yeah, it is. So that that's that's one thing I was actually excited to talk about up here because my experience of Kentucky is different from a lot of other Kentuckians because I come from a city. You know, we got a we got a downtown. There's there's different neighborhoods. It's totally urbanized. So exactly, yeah. yeah. You there's, might. A, there's a fly culture going on. Like Louisville's got a lot of upcoming artists right really? now. Like we're we're tapped into what's going on. Like it's not some backwoods experience. But you do smoke backwoods out there, presumably, right? Some people do. Some people do. Yeah. Not you so much. It's kind of a Swisher capital. I'd say. Swisher capital. Oh, yeah. that's holding them back, man. They got to graduate past that. Nah, man. It's part of the culture. <laughs> you respect the Swishers. Yeah. I respect. I anyone who respects Swishers, given the fact that like these days the, they do get a little bit of heat when you got like Smoke Perk making a song talking about fuck Swishers and shit. It's like why when did Swishers did become that. the ops? I don't know. Apparently they're just horrible for you, huh? Uh, shit. I don't know. I'm assuming woods are just as bad. Are woods bad for you? Hell yeah. You said that big old piece of tobacco. It can't be good. Yeah, I don't smoke. I don't be knowing. So you just don't smoke at all? I don't smoke. That's cool. I hit a blunt like every couple months just to see if I like it, but every time I don't like it. <laughs> every time you don't like, it, I feel it. Like, how high do you get hitting the blunt once though? Not too, but you feel it. I yeah. feel it a little bit. I've no. gotten high before, and I don't enjoy it. When I think about how much weed I smoke now and how smoking way less used to get me so high like 10 or 15 years ago, it's like, holy shit, my tolerance level has really built up over the years. You think so? Yeah, but it's like I had to get way too high You can't get blasted times. now? You can't get... I mean, I could, but I'd have to go outside my comfort zone. I'd have to like smoke a ton of blunts, or I would have to... like, If I took a dab, like if I took one dab right now... <laughs> You're going to feel like you're going to be like, I'm talking to the special needs sure. motherfucker. Like, who is this dude? For sure. This isn't the Adam I was expecting. Yeah. That's me. That's me instantly. I don't enjoy being high at all. Mm. That's the weird part about it is you kind of have to just do it over and over and get too high to eventually learn to like it. But, you know, what's the point? But you don't think there's a possibility that some people just ain't into it? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying is that a lot of people just, that's just like probably you, doesn't it, match their personality it well. sounds like you're saying if i got high enough i could learn to enjoy it yeah i think you would but i don't think that there's necessarily a lot for you to gain from that's, that no, that's you know? fair that's like, fair it's like that for any drug like bro if you if you did coke and you hated it well you, you keep doing it for a while you're gonna start liking it and then you're gonna not be able to stop doing it fair you enough. know fair that's enough. just how it works damn but okay is, is louisville like the only city in kentucky that's like sort of more urbanized like that or is that is that throughout the state now we can give a little slice of that to lexington as well mm. lexington's got it going on i mean you know it's it's a big uh 
there's a lot of Trump supporters in Kentucky, and I would say Louisville and Lexington are kind of the spots where there's a little bit less of that going on. You know mm. what I mean? Like kind of more democratic cities. That's crazy. It's got to be more of a. That's got to be like a straight culture war in, in like the down south sort of areas because there's probably so many people that are so pro Trump, and then also lots of young people that are super anti, huh? In a way, it's it's weird because it just depends on the world you live in, I guess. Like to me, what I'm into is what I'm into, but you can step outside of that, and to them, the norm is. Whatever they're into is crazy. When you see the Trump hat in Beverly Hills, it's shocking. It's out here? I mean, once in a while I'll see a guy wearing one. Usually it's like a Mexican guy or mm. something because I feel like they feel like they get a little bit more of a past or rocket or something. But you'll see it once in a while and it's like I, I, I'm not the type of person that sees the, the Trump hat and gets mad or like assumes the person's a dick or whatever. I, I feel like I'm very open-minded to other people's opinions. But in Hollywood you see it and it's like shocking. In Louisville I'm sure it's a lot more common. Yeah, I guess there's a little bit of that. We walked into a Cracker Barrel. I'm on tour right now. We walked into a Cracker Barrel and walked, almost ran into a dude with a big one on. So uh-huh. it's going on. It's out here. It's definitely going down. I wonder if he's going to win. Yeah, do you, I do wonder that. That's going to be crazy. Yeah. Is, we got a whole lot of wild shit coming up over the next year or two. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so talk about you as a young man, like what kind of kid you were and stuff. I'm interested in how you completed sure. the transition from sure. adolescent to rapper. So I'm from the Highlands neighborhood of Louisville. Anybody from Louisville kind of knows it as a, kind of a, a weird, diverse area. It's near the center of the city, and, like, you can run into kind of anybody walking down the street. It's mm-hmm. black, white, Hispanic. There's a guy that walks down the street with a snake around his neck. It's just, like, a very eccentric area. And, like, in the 90s, it every, had, like, a punk scene going every on. Every good city has a guy with a snake. Yeah, type vibes, you know. Mm. So you can kind of imagine what type of area this is, but that's why I grew up real pedestrian-friendly. Mm. Middle school, high school, I was walking around, so... I think early on, I just got to meet a lot of different type of people. Mm. So that's kind of what it was for me. And it was right as hip hop was like becoming a thing, man. Like that's, that's what it was. So that's I was crazy. rapping early. Being just like, like living in that kind of area where you actually have a lot of different types of people who are just walking around the street, very like underrated thing for sort of building you like, like, like in New York, I feel like a lot of people really benefit from that is that you're just constantly around other people. And a lot of people who live in the suburbs and stuff, you just... People go to school or work and then they come home and then they fucking watch TV and they get scared of people that are different than them because they got the news telling them that everybody's evil and shit. 100%. Comfort yeah. zone gets to open up when you just are confronted by things. Right. Public school and all that. So so was there like a lot of cool shit going on culturally? It was a lot of like music and that kind of stuff For in sure. the area you grew up? There's a lot of talent in Louisville. Like fun fact about Kentucky, I don't know if this actually has something to do with it, but it has the most border states in the U.S. We're touching nine states, so we get influence from a lot of different directions. Oh, wow, nine. That's a lot crazy. of people like Detroit music. A lot of people like Atlanta stuff. So there's there's stuff coming in from all over. Right. Because it's kind of hard to pinpoint. Like what region would you put Kentucky in? It's kind of in the middle. Mm. So I think we have a culture of our own. You know, we got our own like tempos we're into. We got our own sort of thing we got going on. And like I said, there's a lot of artists starting to bubble now mm. from Louisville. And from Kentucky in general, so right. the culture's strong. It's never been this unified, I'd say, where everybody's kind of rolling together. And, like, when you go home, it's a party. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. It's like, I feel like you seem like you kind of grew up in the middle of a lot of different art and stuff. Like, you never felt like an outsider? Mm, nah, mm. I guess not. I never felt too displaced. Because a lot of people, like, kind of just look at a white rapper and they assume that he's sort of attempting to get in on something else but the way you're talking it sounds like you sort of like grew up around so much stuff that it just it maybe didn't even ever seem weird to you that you wanted to rap 
Or exactly. It didn't stand out to you as because like if I had decided I wanted to rap in like '97 when I was like going to high school, I feel like it would have been like a way bigger thing. Whereas I think you coming from like a younger generation and like a different way of thinking about shit that it probably didn't feel that out of the ordinary for you. It just was something I was passionate about. But even now, like I have enough perspective to realize why people are kind of still put off by it a little bit. It's not unheard of anymore, but people still will alienate you. Mm -hmm. I still walk into rooms and feel like. Yeah, I'm white in here. Do you feel like you have to prove yourself artistically to a, a to a level just because you want people to know how serious you are about yeah, the music? Yeah, I do. It gives you a little chip on your shoulder. I ain't mm. gonna lie. Even gives you a small complex. It used to affect the way I used to make music. Right. I wanted to be that kid that could prove he could rap. Now uh. it's kind of moving into a space where I just want to make good music. Right. And show show people that I'm a whole dynamic person. I don't feel like I had to be this one type of artist. But early on, it was like, oh, this is how they treat you when you're white? I guess I got to do this to show them that I'm, I can really do this. Right. But definitely, it gives you a little complex, bro. Like, people treat you different. That's interesting. But do you feel like you get love for the most part? Or like, do you feel like you're always kind of in a position of sort of showing people, like, nah, I really am for sure, because what I'm putting the, out there? Yeah, the, the shock value that comes with it is beneficial in the end. Mm. So there's privilege to it. And then there's, of course, like, you feel like there's walls up. But then you look at Post Malone, and it's like... Come on. How do you feel about Posty? I respect him a lot. I feel like he's a good guy. He has songs I like, too. So Seems like I'm one of the best him. guys. Yeah, like, that's how I feel. Nobody, You never hear anybody talking about he's a dick. Mm -mm. And being that famous, I'm going to be honest, it's pretty hard to not be a dick. I can see that. It seems like he comes from a grounded situation. So do I. So mm. I he's still drinking him. Bud Light. Yeah. That's some shit. If you don't ever switch up and you just... Keep drinking Bud Light. I mean, she's probably making millions Jeez, off I mean, Bud yeah, Light. That's what but... I'm saying. I'll keep drinking for whatever they're paying him. <laughs> exactly. What do you drink? You know what's crazy? So I'm a, you know, I'm a Ciroc boy. I rock with Diddy. I'm all about my Ciroc. But uh, these last few days on tour, I kind of challenged myself to let go of drinking a little bit. So mm. I've been sober for like the last seven shows. How's that going? Feels great. Really? Yeah, I feel like I'm tapping into something different. I don't know. Like I'm going out on stage. I think for a while there, it was becoming a bit of a crutch mm. to go on stage and get that auto confidence off the liquor. But is that what you're doing? Like banging a couple shots before you went on stage or something? No, I was getting faded. Like I was getting messed up Fucked before I up. go out and Damn, I think the really? last straw was DC I was gone on stage and mm. I felt like I did a bad show almost now the fans there they keep DMing me because I be venting about this online right they DM me like the show was good don't worry about it but I felt kind of iffy about it so next day I did Charlotte sober one of my best performances so I was like let me roll with this and so mm. I think I'm gonna finish the tour out like this but to answer your original question I'm a Ciroc boy <laughs> yeah no I hear that like I feel like there's been times where I was drunk as shit let's say and i was like at somebody's show or whatever and because i was totally out of my mind i felt completely confident like going up to the crowd and getting everybody all hyped and stuff and when i'm fucking sober or when i'm smoking weed that is so not like my personality to like run out on stage and get everybody all hyped up mm. i respect the fuck out of people like djs and shit who that's what they do. They just go out there and get everybody hyped up, sure. and they can do it. They don't have to be fucked up at all, but they get the energy going crazy with the with the audience. I mean, that is such like an underrated skill. I agree with you. It's it's like a switch you have to hit. Mm. The thing I've been enjoying about being sober is I feel like there's more control. Like I get kind of mood swingy when I'm in a different state of mind. So when I'm just on that sober vibe, I feel like I can control everything and really tap into like doing a good job for the crowd, make eye contact, you know, mm. talk to them. So but I like it. You don't sound like you have that, like, alcoholic gene where, like, some people, they just start drinking and it's it's over. Like, they're just going to be a fucking alcoholic for life. Or were you ever like that? No, nah, I was never like that. In fact, I didn't even drink in high school. I was kind of late to the party. Atlanta's when I got introduced to even most of my vices. Mm. 
I think I'm just like self-aware, so I'll be trying to make sure I'm not going over the edge. You feel me? Definitely. So what was high school like in terms of were you recording or at least rapping from like a very early stage? Yeah, yeah everybody knew me as a kid in the city that rapped because I was passing out mixtapes and I was dropping songs online. It was mostly just bubbling in my hometown, but I was well known. Like people either liked me or they hated me. Like a lot of people thought I was a lame. Mm. Yeah, but Kinda, I, had it, I had it going. But but how did you feel about that? Did you feel like you kind of looked like a nerd or something and that you were like trying to just convince everybody like not, did you have that confidence to just be like, nah, I'm not a lame? Like what's a, what was 100%. it like fighting against that? 100%. But it was another thing to give me one of those chips on my shoulder mm. of like, you know, got to prove something. But I think I've always had like a certain level of like knowing who I am, regardless of how people see me, even though I can still take it into account. But right. I knew in high school, like I was tight. I knew I was fly. Like right. I knew what I had going on. I, f I was feeling myself early. So it was cool. And in that, high school, I enjoyed it. That's the crazy thing about being a rapper. Like when you are starting from nothing is that it really is so much about like that confidence, even though you don't really have that much to be confident about. Like you don't have fans yet, like that many fans. You don't have like the money and the whatever that you want, but you still have to like go out there and exude enough confidence to convince everybody that you actually are capable of being this thing. Yep. You just got your balls and your word. Mm. You just, you're either, you're either that or you aren't. You just be feeling yourself mm. whether you do or not. But I totally agree with you. It's all about do you really love yourself? Mm. And that's the number one thing when I'm looking at new rappers when I'm on stream or whatever is like, do they seem like they really believe it? It's probably like one of the biggest things even beyond just their musical ability and stuff is like, do they seem like they believe or they're confident enough to really embody this? That's the number one component. That's mm. the number one thing. Sometimes I'll write something and I'll be in the wrong frame of mind, like whether whatever's going on, but I ain't, I ain't feeling myself that day. But the bars on paper, hard as it gets. Mm -hmm. I go in the booth, spit it. You can feel in my voice that I don't mean what I'm saying. Mm. That happens to me. I make songs that ain't like that. Really? And you go in and you know. But then sometimes you're in that mood today, but it's like you said, it's all energy. Mm. It don't matter. The bars are second to everything. The bars are how you use your voice. Do we believe you? Exactly. Do you believe yourself? You and, can feel that. And that's why everybody starts getting fucked up in the studio, like what you're describing when you move to Atlanta or whatever, is because you're trying to just recreate and recapture. You're looking for an energy. And yeah, that, to get it mm -hmm. artificially. The problem is, is that it's subtracting the energy that you will have the next day and that that compounds upon itself and all and of a sudden you you're relying, fucked. Yeah, it's a trap, but at the same time, you just are doing anything you can to tap into that magic that makes people say mm -hmm. that. And because we all know that there's futures, there's little Uzis, there's all these people who, when you listen to their music, certain songs of theirs, that you can tell that they were fucked up and that that made the song better. 3-6 Mafia is like, I'm sorry, if they never did drugs, they might not have made a lot of that music. And, you know, it's like, we know that that shit was inspired by that, so you can't blame rappers for thinking like, damn, I gotta, I gotta fuck with and see what's up with this lean. See, I don't even try nothing outside of the studio. Because mm. that's where I want to find something. I want right. to tap into something. That's the lab. That's where people end up experimenting. At least there's a purpose there. I mean, it's better than just like sitting in your house watching Sports being, Center. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're in high school, and how far, like, or like, when did you start to feel like it was really starting to come together? Like you were getting a fan base together? Was it happening online? It was like a hometown thing completely. Everyone mm. in Louisville was starting to know about me, but I realized I needed to keep it moving. So I went to Atlanta and uh, got it jumping. Um, met drama shortly after I moved, but me and my boy, we had actually gotten a job at Georgia State, but I originally moved down with my homie Urban, uh -huh. photographer, and my boy Two For One, my producer. So we went down there together and just 
went in. We tried to work, and we were down there with KY Engineering, and things just slowly came together. Like I said, I met Drama, and he said he wanted to sign me, put me in a better position since. So Atlanta is what I owe a lot of the changes to. Right. It influenced how I was making music. It introduced me to those horrible vices. Mm. It just it put me in this new space that I was never in in Louisville. Were you sure that you couldn't? do what you were trying to do or make it in Louisville like you you I mean almost everybody ends up with that conclusion that they got to go to LA Atlanta or New York it's funny because it's like it's hard to say because the internet now you can do it from anywhere mm. but there is an argument for just putting your face in another room when I moved to Atlanta I just started meeting producers and people that I had grown up idolizing and knowing about you right. know what I mean so it changes everything when you just are showing face it's, Atlanta is such a place where you can just go there and if you have any degree of like connections or whatever, you could easily start just bouncing between different studios and just meeting all these different people. It's like there's an insane energy mm -hmm. out there. Out here, there is some of that, but it's also like this is Hollywood. Like everybody's super business focused. There's labels out here. Like people are in their own sessions. They're working on their own shit. Atlanta feels much more very accessible, collaborative. Yeah, very collaborative and accessible. And it's six hours from Louisville, so we were just bouncing down there before I moved. Mm. That's so, tight. Atlanta changed things. I went actually like the majority of the time I spent in Atlanta was in um, was with Shoreline. I remember that were, you were at Mean Street, right? Yeah, and yeah. they were recording with like at Drama Spot. So is that how that happened? Like, do you end up going there to record one night, and then you sort of start getting on Drama's radar? So I was brought there to meet Drama. Right. You know, he'd be there. It's his studio, so he spends his evenings there. Uh -huh. So when I came, I was introduced to him, and that night he had me just record, and I was showing up, showing up, and then when I signed. I've been in there every night since. Wow. So yeah. so you just basically ended up making a song or two in front of him, and he was just sort of just watching you and, like, paying attention to you? Not in front of him, but I, like, shook his hand, and then he, like, left the room, and then I recorded. Right. But we got cool just bouncing around being in the studio. Right. Yeah. That's tight. What was the vibes like over there on average? Because drama is like he's super tight, but he's he's also kind of serious, huh? Like so what? serious. <laughs> I love it about him because I'm I'm kind of serious too, and I feel like some people don't ever want to be serious. Right. And I like to joke around a lot, and you know I'll be looking forward to showing that side of me to people, but also like I'm about my business too, and that's what I like about drama is he's like so on it, bro. Uh huh. Um, and he's such an artist, but me and him have gotten so close. I remember when I, like, I was six months into being signed to him, and I, like, I felt like I didn't really know him, though. Like, I didn't feel like we had like a real relationship, and I asked him to go to this restaurant, and the restaurant had these hors d'oeuvres that they were bringing out one by one. It was like one of those restaurants that brings out little tastes, plate after plate. It was whack to me, but he loved it. But we had a great combo. Like, we just got super cool after that. And so, I don't know. I look at him as like a legend, bro. Yeah. Like, I hold, I hold him up there in that regard. Like, I grew up hearing his voice on mixtapes, so mm -hmm. I love having a relationship with drama. Is that why, is that familiarity why you still like having the gangsta Grizzles uh, drops on your songs and shit? That and it's classic. When yeah. people hear that, they're anticipating something amazing. So that's that's what I wanted. And the first time I asked him for that, he's like, bro, you don't want that. I'm like, boy, I got the file now. I can put it on anything. I'll be doing slow R&B ballads, putting that on there. Right. Yeah, I can do whatever I want with the Gangsta Girls tag now. I love it. And if anybody else were to use it, are they going to end up having to pay drama? Ain't no telling. Maybe so. <laughs> I don't know. Does it work that he's way? Gotta, he has to He has to be it, the one that places it. It's so. like a fucking sample. Yeah, I would exactly. Think. I don't know. I saw drama like almost get heated at uh, somebody I was with at the studio because he was doing like the radio show thing, and he was supposed to do a drop, and he's like, "I don't want to do a drop." 
Trauma was not going to let this fool out of there without doing the drop. Like, he just wanted him to say, like... Oh, your homeboy didn't want to do the DJ drop. Drama, Gangster Girls, blah, blah, blah. My, my one homie's like, I don't, I don't do radio drops. And they were like, Trauma was like, nah, you got to do the drop. And it was like awkward tension for a minute, bro. See, that's fire to me. <laughs> I love people that are okay with making other people uncomfortable like that. Yes. Oh, my God. I totally agree for, with that. On a, on a traditional level. Mm. Like, he's just... You're in my studio. Like, I don't know who it was, but... That's one thing I like about drama. He does that to me. Mm. He makes me feel bad about myself sometimes. Really? And then 20 minutes later, I feel good because he did that. That's so interesting because, yeah, a lot of times when you're in the studio with somebody, it's like, let's be real. Like, he's, he knows a fuckload about music and his opinion really matters. And if he were to tell you, like, yo, I don't like this bar and this bar and she used this word different and she rapped differently on this part of the song whatever... A lot of people aren't going to have that kind of conversation with you because realistically, they just don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. Being around somebody that actually will risk offending you or like challenging you is something that, I mean, you don't get that from a lot of people in this music industry because people just don't give a fuck. He checks me all the time. Mm. Checks me all the time. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it's like, and he, he tells great stories. It's like having a dad, you know what I mean? I mean, I have a dad, but it's like having another dad. Right. That's mixed. Mm. Yeah. That's got to help. Yeah. You ever talk to him about the, uh, that's what I want to interview him. I don't, I'm sure he's talked about it mad times, but I want to talk about that Fed case, bro. That's what, I would love to hear him talk about that. I could probably search it and find it on YouTube He's anyway. told me a little bit about that. I haven't, I haven't dove into that a, a ton. The and fact that he survived that is the craziest shit ever. Legendary. That's crazy. That's Can, like. Cannon be talking about that too. Yeah. Crazy times. Yeah. What's the relationship with Cannon? Like, is he a little bit more hands off or? He's hand, he, a little more hands on. Like what you were talking about in the studio about right. making drama. Don't really do that to me. Mm. Drama talks to me on like a, a different level. Cannon is more in the studio, giving me his opinions on my music, telling me what I should do about this and that. Right. Um, so he'd be looking out. He's, he helps me craft the songs. I mean, the first song, for example, on this tour, the song I come out to on my set. Every night I come out to the same song, right? Mm -hmm. When I made the song, Cannon told me, he's like, this is what you're going to come out to on your tour. I can hear it. It sounds like it. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that way when he, before he said that. And so we put it first, and it's been crazy since. So just little stuff like that. He has, he's, he's got a lot of musical knowledge. Mm. So he gives me a lot of game. When you look at where you were at when you signed with them versus where you're at now, like how much do you feel like you've grown as an artist in terms of really learning how to put a song together? A ton. I feel like since three months ago, I'm way better. Mm. I don't know. It's just I'm into it. I'm into getting better, man. I just wanna, I just wanna be like on the Rushmore. I really wanna be one of the goats, bro. Mm. I really like care about music, so I'm into it. And they, any game they can give me, I'm taking it. Yeah, because I hear you like sort of. I forget what song it was, but I was listening to one of your songs, and you're sort of expressing that level where you're like not 100% sure of like if you're going to get where you really want to go and like I, I appreciate that you'll actually talk openly about that because I mean everybody clearly thinks about that in the music industry but I just like heard you talking on songs last night about how you're actually aware of that and like you're like is that sort of this crushing overwhelming feeling that like you just have these things you want to accomplish so bad and you just have to fight for them all the time it's, it's some of that and like majority <laughs> of it is sometimes I think my fear is that I want so much that I remember when I wanted what I have now. I remember when I wanted to do an interview with you. Mm. Not that I stopped wanting to, but I'm saying I remember wanting this. Right. And now I'm happy I'm here, and now I want even more. But you're living your life, and you're not thinking about the fact that there was a moment in your life. Like, there was a moment in my life where I would have fucking killed to, you know, do any of this. Like, I fucking just 
did a, I went on Sway's show and I'm like, but I, I, I never stopped to think like, damn, I would have fucking killed to have that opportunity a couple of years ago. You forget about the and fact those, that you've accomplished all your you goals. To take. And because of that, sometimes I think my worry is that I could get to where a Post Malone is, a Drake is, and still mm. be, why, why am I not king of the world though? Right. Because a man's greed is powerful. You always want more. You always seeing what else you can have. So that's the thing that I fear is like, Am I chasing the right things? I think it's good to achieve something, but am I chasing the right things? Because will I ever be happy if this is what I keep? Because I'm not 100% happy yet. I'm not depressed. Right. But I know I still want more now, and I used to want to kill for this. So how much more do I need for? I'm like, ah, I'm good. The thing you want chasing not not the right things. Right. Man. The thing you want to be in love with is the actual creation of the art of the content because that's the one thing that can never be taken from you is just to continue to work and it's like when you get too married to being in love with the success or with being in a certain position that's like that stuff is out of your control i know so many people that are still making music 20 years later and it's like yeah people aren't really checking for it like that but it's still a possibility and it's like i, I really respect the fact that they're they've stayed true to themselves regardless of the fact that it might not be represented through the plays or whatever you know? i agree I agree. You can't get in love with the numbers because mm. it's one out of your control. So that's why something is better than fucking to me. I like it more than sex is making a good song. Mm. I swear to God, it feels so good. When you make something that you think is hot, it's just euphoria. You just feel so good. Mm. So that's what I chase every time in the studio. When you drop something, how much are you thinking about the public reaction? Like, is there, are, are you, because like I know for me, like when this interview comes out, I'm gonna be glued to the comments, reading the comments, and I've been doing this for a long ass time, and I'm still like excited to see what people are gonna say about it. For real? Yeah. Mm. I um I don't read YouTube comments anymore because mm. I'm kind of sensitive, so I could read that and it'll stick with me. Like I, somebody did a pitchfork review of Confetti. Mm. I got a 5.6. Okay. Not what I was hoping for. Mm. And I made the mistake of reading the article, a really well-written article about how subpar my music is. Really? And, like, when somebody goes into detail so well, it sticks with you. You start to consider those things. So um, me being so receptive to people, I try not to read too much of it. But, I, I mean, I read, I read what's going on. I right. read my messages. I check my Instagram comments. So I see some of it. But YouTube's a dark place, so <laughs> I won't be reading the comments on this video. But, I mean, that's the thing. is that, Dude, if I read a well-written Pitchfork review ripping apart my album, I definitely could imagine that affecting sure. me. Whereas, like, the comments, like, what are, what are they going to say? Like, you're gay, you're ugly, like, whatever. I'm like, okay. Exactly. So <laughs> that, that doesn't get, bother me. But when, when they they're good. Depth, yeah, and they're a good writer, you're like, damn, maybe I'm ass. But, for at least five minutes. But you know that like a big part of what's going to make you successful as a as a public personality and a rapper is just being yourself, regardless. And a lot of people who have been absolutely slammed by Pitchfork or various media outlets are huge. Like I remember fucking Post Malone getting destroyed in, in reviews and shit back in the day. Like nobody believed that he for actually sure. was going to be able to do it. They thought he was just this weird wigger copycat whatever thing and like look at how much that opinion in the press did not matter means nothing and mm. that, and and of course that's where you come back to is that center because rest in peace mac miller's first album got a 1.0 on there bro yeah and his next one jumped to a 7.4 point is i'm gonna that's read crazy. the next review my next album i'm gonna read that review yeah. hopefully it don't hurt my feelings by then but you check for those things as a human being you you want those validations but it don't matter you're right in and the end it don't matter there's a level to which it's good to know what the most negative person, the person who hates you or like really is the most critical, it's good to know what they would say, but only if you're like confident enough to be able to weather that and to not really let for it sure, get to you. For you know? sure. Because I mean, there's a part of my personality that is a little bit of a people pleaser. Mm. So me, I like everybody to be happy. I want to be loved by the world. 
that's just part of who I am. It's in my nature. My mom's like that, so that's kind of who I am a little bit. So those kind of things that get to me, so I try not to even see them. Mm. Yeah. How uh, how do you feel about your fan base? Like when you're actually doing shows and shit, who do you see as your average? Compared to the first tour, surprisingly diverse. Really? Diverse crowds. You know, I figured being a white guy that only white people would be able to tap into me. And I know white people are the main buyer of tickets, but my crowds are diverse. Mm. There's a lot of beautiful black girls in my crowd. There's a lot of beautiful white girls in my crowd. Black men, white guys, Hispanic people. I just left Arizona. So there's a lot of different people at my shows. Um, and like I said, I thought at first that only white people would be able to see themselves in me. Mm. But apparently I'm connecting with a lot of people because those are who's coming out. So it's a beautiful thing for me. Yeah, man. I mean, if you can be a white rapper that black people fuck with, that's, that's saying a lot. That's not the easiest thing to achieve, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so, like, okay, I, I kind of missed this earlier, though. You mentioned Mac Miller. Who are your early people that you were looking at that you were inspired by or that were motivating you to get in the game? I remember Nikes on my feet came out. I was in fifth grade, and I was just like, yo, this is it right here. Uh. I thought he was hard. And a lot of times when I catch flack, like, I think about how much flack he used to catch. Right. And so I think a lot of people have forgotten that. So rest in peace to a legend off rip right there. Um, that shit is crazy because you're looking at somebody who in that early stage got so much backlash and hate. And then by that time, but then became so beloved. And then when he passes, it's like you couldn't find somebody who had something negative to say about him. It was 100% all love from mad people that you would not have ever even thought would be saying, saying something about him, you know? That's what I'm saying. And that's why... I, you gotta, I guess part of me is like, you gotta get over the desire to be loved first off, because mm -hmm. that's something that I was already talking about. But anyway, other influences. Andre 3000 is one of my favorite rappers ever. Wow. I think just as a writer, he's incredible. I tapped in with Eminem early, of course. But Drake's like the goat to me. I love Drake, just how he balances everything. Yeah. Um, so that's out there for me. Jay Z, Wayne. Yeah. All them. That's a pretty good lineage right there. Yes, sir. For sure. Andre 3000, I guess I could see that because like, I, I was watching a little bit of an interview where you were saying that you feel like your music has gotten more groovy and uh, the, the host seemed like somewhat skeptical about like exactly what was going to be groovy about it. But for real? I, I see that vibe though, for sure. Like, And Andre had that, you know, it's like where whatever, or Outkast in general, like they just would bring like the dancey, like fun element that didn't like completely overwhelm it and make it feel like it was some musical ballad type 100%. shit yeah. that's what i'm into i like like my shows are sing-alongs like people are grooving in there mm. there's a little bit of masha here and there but that ain't really the nature of the shows it's more let's vibe everybody gigging together it's supposed to feel good yeah it's a feel good time so there's a little bit of that i'm so curious about this interview now look at me i'm like who the fuck said that who was skeptical <laughs> it was like some hot 97 thing or something it was only like 10 minutes i'm very like skeptical about watching interviews before i interview other people now because i don't want to like find out all the good stuff beforehand but then i i also want to be well researched and know shit you know well you're doing a great job of that bro i'm enjoying this interview you are i am what what is this this is like the the hardest question to answer honestly though what is the most interesting shit that nobody ever asked you about or that you don't ever get a chance to talk about Sheesh. Mm. sometimes i'm like damn maybe i need some more bullshit in my life because people are people ask me about music mm. People are very cut dry with me. They don't get into none of that funky shit with me. And me, I'm like down to talk about that, but mm. I guess I'm just too straight laced with what I got going on in my life. I yeah. ain't I ain't, uh, I ain't in no beefs. I ain't in no public relationships, but I'm about to get all that stirred up soon. So next time I'm here, you're going to have a lot to dive into in that regard. It's weird to think about, right? That's part of 
being a part of personality. Bigger than music. Like when I go in to do an interview, it's like, let's talk about fights you've been in, friends of yours who have died, people that talk shit about you. It's like all like, it's just all like crazy ass shit. And it's like, it's okay. Like I've done like a million interviews and people always want to ask about Boonk passing out. And it's like, they always want to talk about the one time that somebody came through on mad drugs and passed out, which I get. Like, I get that. And that's like, in a weird way, it's like, you need bad things to happen to you so people have a fucking thing to talk about. 100%. All the legends have bad things happen. Mm. So I'm about to get some bad shit brewing soon. Oh, you got to be careful, bro. You want to like sh- shoplift like a candy bar. Don't join the Bloods. Don't go 6 9 on us. Could never do that. No. Got to know your place for sure, yeah. There's always going to be somebody who wants to fucking try to offer you some sort of weird level of protection or something though and you got to be very careful about that i don't even know what you're talking about now i mean like i've seen dudes come to la and then basically have like gangsters convince them that they're their friends and then all of a sudden they're like extorting money out of them and like you're not allowed to come here unless you do this or all kinds of and in a long term way that's basically what happened with the six nine thing is that he like got in bed with these criminals and then they fucking wanted the world from him or wanted shit he wasn't willing to give and that shit is messy for sure i'll keep an eye out <laughs> like offering this weird warning to you it's <laughs> <laughs> valid um so w- w- do you feel like on average when you make music where do you just follow where your sort of mind is at i notice you end up talking to the ladies a lot yeah. you find that that's just sort of where your brain ends up gravitating towards well i look at it like this and I think it happens naturally, but you know, they say there's three pillars to entertainment. There's violence, there's drugs, and there's sex. Wow. Now, I ain't too violent. I have potential, but I'm not very violent. Uh, I ain't too into drugs. So the sex pillar is the one I usually end up leaning on a lot. And also because I'm a big fan of women. I always have been. My parents tell me that since I was little, I just have had an affinity for women. So I like women a lot. Um, and I've met a lot of women, so that's what I like to talk about for mm. sure. That's that's kind of where my heart like resides for the most part. You in a relationship or are you juggling multiple I'm women? I'm chilling right now. I ain't, I ain't in no relationship. Right. Yeah. I've, the thing I realized about myself, though, after having been in a relationship for three years, is that when I am single, I'm like a fucking heroin addict with girls because it's just I end up just hanging out with way too many girls and it spirals out of control. And I just can't, like... It's so much safer for me to be in a relationship because when I'm not in a relationship, I end up just like trying to basically create the feeling of being loved or accepted by somebody and having like that closeness. But I'm trying to get that through like a lot of different people at one time instead of one person. God damn. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. And I ain't just saying that to agree with you. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I feel you. Mm. Because a lot of times I think intimacy is what we crave you know mm-hmm. what i mean we can be thoughts if we want but at the end of the day it's just nice to be close to somebody so i feel you 100 percent. me i like to talk to women but that's what that's what i realize i like mm. it don't have to be it don't have to be heroin addict vibes right it can just be what it is so i feel you 100 percent. i feel like i'm like uh like the drake type though where it's like i can't help but like really like every stripper i meet i can't help but like, have a see the good that. in them you I have know? a little bit of that. I, I'm easily convinced that they like me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I believe it for sure. Because yeah. I'm so full of myself. That I'm like, of course she likes me. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I definitely had that, that uh, I'm different complex. Too. Right. I'm like, yeah, it's, I know you're really feeling me. Like, this is different between us. I, I actually 
Sheesh, I was in Magic City a little while ago, and there was this stripper in there I was talking to, and I could have sworn by the end of the night, like, she was ready to leave with me. Mm. That's what I felt. But these motherfuckers are good at their job, bro. They make – she's genius. But uh, she don't she don't text back nothing. <laughs> she, ain't, she ain't on it. She's on her business. But that night, I could have sworn we were about to be in a relationship. Wow. Seriously. That's crazy. So I go through the same thing. Especially when you're fucked up. You might just really believe that shit. Oh, you're just vibing. You're like, hell yeah, we're in love. <laughs> I mean – but I've been there too. I've been in the strip club and like started talking to a stripper and I had her like really be into me. So it's like, or like, you know, and it actually worked out. So it's like, that is the weird thing about it. But you know oh, what's so the you've had success stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, then I don't blame you. I had this friend who. Me, I've yet to have one of those. Oh, really? Yes. I had this friend back in Texas, like 2008, and he we used to go work out together in the morning and then we would go to the fucking strip club afterwards and eat like the strip club like brunch or whatever after our workout. And one day, like, we're, we we get in the car, and I realize that he didn't even shower after the workout. And he's like, trust me, they like it. <laughs> like, they'll just, was he right? They'll, like, they'll just, I mean, he was pulling chicks out of this fucking strip club. Number one, he knew every girl there, so I don't know how much fucking time he was actually spending there. But he was way too, like, comfortable in the strip club. And I had never seen a dude act like that before, where he walked in there with, like, the attitude of, like, y'all should appreciate me. And then they actually went for it. He, I remember he told me, he goes, you got to keep in mind, Everybody here is some fucking loser who works at a desk all day or a fucking, you know, a day laborer or some shit. He's like, we're the only ones in here that have tattoos and shit. <laughs> so, like, these girls, like, trust me, like, you're their type. And I'm like, damn, I never heard somebody describe a strip club like that, but I guess that's a pretty good point. He broke that bitch down. But there's a lot of strip clubs in Atlanta and shit where you walk in and you are definitely not the coolest dude there. You ain't lying, Patch. That's why I only go with Drama and Kenny. <laughs> For real, right? Yeah, I sit in their section, throw their money. Yeah. Yeah. And once you get to that, once you've gone to the strip club in that way. Uh, Can't fuck. go back on your own. Yuri, can you flick that switch? Me and my man, me? we go sometimes, but it ain't the same as when we go with Drama and Kenny. We'd be yeah. over at our little table. Yeah, sorry. You, you, Did I hit a switch? We, we really have to put this somewhere where that's not going to happen anymore. What's that switch Let's do? work on that today. It just turns off the headphones, so I can't hear anything. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But everybody keeps hitting it with their knee. But you haven't hit it as much as uh, Hoodridge Pablo Keep Wong my legs was yesterday. Over oh, Hoodridge hit it a lot? Pablo, he got the longest legs in the fucking country, so he's just poking that thing with his knee. He does knee. have some long legs. He does. He's a big guy. I like a tall rapper. I love a tall rapper. <laughs> I'll tell you. 6'3". Nice. Yeah. There you go. You got to love it. I knew I liked up. you. <laughs> um, yeah, we, met, we actually met in Chicago at the club. I remember that. That was tight. Nice and brief. Isn't that a great way to meet somebody as opposed to just like Twitter? 100%. Because yeah. we'd had, you know, we DM'd brief a little messages, bit back and something back. light. But when I ran into you, it was a nice, we both shared a smile. It was yeah. a beautiful thing. And I was like, that was a weird club to be in. Because it was like that Lyrical Lemonade weekend. So it just had every, it was like the internet come to life. So many people that you just see in Cold Bennett's Instagram comments were there. Everybody. <laughs> All of them. Facts. Um, so you were nominated for a BT award. That is something that I want to acknowledge. Thank you for acknowledging. Was that shocking? How'd you feel when you found out about that? It was slightly shocking. Didn't even, uh, didn't believe it. Didn't know why the hell it happened. Mm. Aside from the music being excellent, but that hasn't really done anything for me yet, just having excellent music. So I was shocked to get recognized for being good at this shit. So it was amazing. It was super validating. I was up against Megan Thee Stallion, so I was wow. just cool with being nominated. Um, but it's crazy, bro. It's going to be on my Wikipedia, so I'm happy about it. 
Damn, you pay attention to the Wikipedia. That's good. I don't know if well, I ever I grew heard up rapper. reading Wikipedia, so yeah, I yeah. know those shits be down there. I stay consulting Wikipedias before I do interviews. For for? I mean, yeah, but then sometimes you'll have a rapper who will have like everything he's ever done documented in their Wikipedia, and then sometimes you'll have somebody who's pretty legendary, pretty well known, and they got like one paragraph. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm on that latter half, legendary mm. with one paragraph. But you know that that's that's what, like a good like PR person or whatever is supposed to actually do is like keep that kind of shit moving. Add to it. I mean, I don't know though because you're not supposed to be like updating your own Wikipedia. But then at the same time, I'll look at my Wikipedia and it'll say some shit about I'm like famous for like farting or something, and I'll be like, I can't even like, can I change this? Like, I need somebody to like consult to like change weird shit that people put on there. You hate to see it, brother. And I'm really asking for it right now. <laughs> you hate to see it. You do hate to see it. Um, so. Yeah, do you feel like, uh, oh yeah, this, this is the one thing we had to ask about. How do you feel about Uzi putting a clown emoji over your face in, uh, on Instagram? As soon as I saw it, I got butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> Why, just because he was acknowledging you? I just couldn't believe it. I was just shocked. I didn't think he would acknowledge me. Right. Yeah. And what, why Why was he pissed? Was it just because you're assigned to drama and he's having his issues? I think I, it's because I aligned myself with drama during mm -hmm. the situation. I posted a photo with my arm around drama and I said double tap if you can't wait for eternal to take yeah. <laughs> what made you want to do that though you just feel like you had to sort of have that sense of solidarity with the team yeah partly that and part of it is was there was a there was a genuine side to it in that one I wanted to show I'm with drama there was mm -hmm. a lot of shit being talked about drama and he's not really responding and meanwhile like the person talking about him is like a mega famous superstar rapper so it's kind of a weird thing where he, he doesn't seem like he's super interested in being all that public with his side of the story or sure. he'll and, only put it out little bits and I I was feeling especially close with drama because all this went down the day after that dinner I told you about oh okay so we were vibing at the time you know what I mean so I just wanted to align myself with him me being an Uzi fan I didn't think it was gonna be taken how it was taken but that's how it went right and now Uzi don't like me you never heard anything else after that or never no uh-uh yeah, he probably don't care that much. Ain't been nothing since. Do you know more about the situation with Uzi and drama and shit than the average person reading yes. the news? And is it is this drama get a bad rap in this whole thing? I don't want to speak on it, but I know a lot more than most people. Right. Yeah. Interesting. How excited are you for Eternal Ataki? Can't wait to hear it. He's is an it inspiring Ataki? artist. He's a, he's a great artist. Right. Can't wait to hear it. It'll inspire me to make some good music. Yeah. Do you feel like, does it ever worry you that like having somebody like him having like an alleged rift with somebody like him that the fans might end up siding with him or some shit like that oh i know it wasn't I mean, that serious that huh? his fans are gonna side with him yeah oh, i know his fans are gonna side with him right so that just is what it is i was happy to see a lot of my fans ride for me during that mm. and my fan base is smaller than his but it was a beautiful moment to see all my fans say hey i'm riding for my boy but was there like a uzi hive that showed up in your dms telling you they hated you and shit yeah i gained like <laughs> thirty thousand followers for real yeah whoa that's crazy. That BS, man. The they Uzi don't care effect. about good music. See, exactly. They want that BS. Question is, like, how much you can create in terms of actual interest or people actually listening to your shit out of the bullshit? It's a good question because BS doesn't equal longevity. Mm. It doesn't always equal. So I don't know. I, I think the key for me was when I knew that was about to pop off, I was about to post my music. Mm. I started dropping my videos that I'd already had out. It was like, so when y'all show up, y'all see I'm actually hard. Yeah, like, okay, it's time. Yeah. It's time for y'all to learn. Time for people to see. Mm. People are going to hate no matter what, so as long as the conversation's going. It's funny, though, because a lot of people, their way of getting people to actually engage with their music in that situation would be to do a diss track about the person or, like, really say something in the song. Did that cross your mind? 
It crossed my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Just figured it wasn't time for that yet. Did Drama tell you nothing to do it, or was it just? Drama let me do my thing. He mm -hmm. didn't give me no advice. None of them did. He didn't try to set you up and be like, yo, like you got to be a soldier. You got to go out there and take shots at him, man. Nah, but it definitely, it, I think it brought us closer. But mm -hmm. he didn't give me no, I think you should do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, a lot of rappers will do a diss song that overshadows their whole career. Yeah. You know? where that kind of becomes like such a lightning rod for what people to talk about that they don't really care after that. I don't know. Part of me considered it. There were some other things that we considered, but at the end of the day, I knew I wanted to be known for good music. I wanted to come out and be that. That's not how I wanted to get my name out here. Mm. That's not why I wanted academics to post me. I mm. wanted motherfuckers to see me first. So we did our thing. We got what we needed out of it. And now we moved on from it. Motherfuckers have almost forgotten. Yeah, that's true. And so I, I was curious before up. I came in this interview if you were going to bring it up because it's been so many months, but that kind of stuff sticks. But you know what the thing is, is that with your career, it's like you have, you're like an interesting guy, you're good to talk to, but there's not like that much crazy beef type shit. So it's kind of like that it's being like the out. one thing. It's like you kind of want to dig in on it. But I mean, you, you also see it like, you know, actually, I've seen Action Bronson like flip out in an interview because they're asking him about his beef with Ghostface. And that was like, nine years ago or some shit and it's like he gets pissed because it's like you know he he's kind of like you actually whereas he's had this really good career he's made a lot of dope shit with the tv shit a lot of good albums and everything but then people just always want to come back to the the one time that he had a beef with a legendary rapper much more interesting than a good song he did such a good job keeping his career positive that that thing just really stands out which is kind of like the same shit with you for so sure. far for sure but we got more beefs coming so that, that <laughs> one's gonna be forgotten you ever think about like faking one you down be down for something like that because mm. Boonk just was calling me saying that he wants to do another interview and I'm like listen Boonk if you want to do another interview go on Instagram right right now and say that you want to kill me and then we got something to talk about how much have, have you ever orchestrated anything <laughs> just just stuff that was openly like a joke like when fat boy like throws the drink on me or like throws the hamburger at me and shit that but was I'm saying everything you've orchestrated the public is fully aware you orchestrated it yeah, like, cause I, I, like the the whole thing where the dude trying to rob me or whatever, like that was a hundred percent real, and that, if anything, just made me even more sure. It's like I don't want to joke around about serious shit because if you fuck around too much, people are gonna think there was wolf a joke. Wolf, yeah, man. so it's like a lot of people didn't believe that just off rip because they thought it was the kind of thing that I would mastermind, even though in reality that's totally not true. It looked very real to me. I, not for a second did I think it was fake. Felt real to me too. The real question is why we got these little chode arrowheads in here. People don't finish their waters, man. <laughs> I don't know. You fuck with Arrowhead? The brand? Yeah. Um, Any particular water that you gravitate towards? What we drink. Louisville Taps as good as it gets. We got the number one water in the U.S. Really? Louisville does. Wow. That's actually good to know. Maybe I'll go there and just... I used to drink a lot of tap. Save a lot of money that way. I like Dasani, though. Mm. Do you... You really like Dasani? I don't like Evian. Mm. No, yeah. I'll take Arrowhead. I don't fucking mind it. I'm going to be totally honest. I don't, everybody complains about it. I think it's fine. Do you have any sort of particular affection for Kennedy Fried Chicken? Or, or excuse me, Kentucky Fried Chicken? For KFC? Kennedy used to be the shit that we would eat in Brooklyn and shit. Yeah, I just need to know if there's anything, any special feeling you have towards that place just because of the name. Yeah, I like it. I think a lot of people in Kentucky, they try to, because people reference it so much, they act like they don't like it. Mm. I think KFC is delicious. Right. Are there local chicken spots that are better than me in Louisville? Yeah. But I love KFC. We right. had it last night when we were in Arizona. So really? I'll eat it anywhere. 
A famous bowl hits different. <laughs> famous bowl. Those things are sick. I used to eat those all the time. Delicious. Yeah. yeah. My problem with KFC is that one time I went there and uh, it gave me food poisoning and I had to like miss a whole trip and a photo shoot and stuff. So I'm still kind of salty about it. You ain't had it since? Mm, I have, but like very minimally, which is weird because like, I'll, if I see a Popeyes or a Church Chicken, it might go down. But KFC, I just kind of stopped oh, craving it at a certain happened. point. I can't. I'm mad about salmon. You'll go Popeyes though? I'll eat Popeyes. Over KFC? No, 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 no. No? Ooh, that's brand loyalty. I'm a KFC guy. Have you had that, the Popeye sandwich? I ain't had it. No. I had one, but it was like when it first came out and there was a dude who bought like 30 of them and was just like going around selling them for like 10 bucks. So I ate one, but it was like two days old and he had been trying to like keep all these. How did you eat that? I, I, I took one bite. My, but Jason over there bought it. Actually, I think he got it hooked up for free because they wanted us to talk about it on the podcast. But this dude was really hustling Popeye's chicken sandwiches. I'd want to know what a free one tastes like. I can't believe you took a bite out of that. I know, because, like, with fucking... A fresh one, I mean. With fast food, it's not good after, like, five minutes. Never mind, like, two days. Yeah, you're wilding, man. I don't yeah. know what you were thinking. I just took one bite. It was dry as fuck. I'm like, fuck this shit. But I'm sure if I... Like, there's a Popeye's near my house. I swear to God, I must live in the fucking corniest area, because there's not even a line at this Popeye's. Where do you live? In the valley. What's your address? <laughs> <laughs> If you live near a Popeyes and it's not cracking, your Popeyes is not. It ain't like that, especially right now. Maybe they don't have the sandwiches. I don't know. <laughs> Anything else we should uh, know before we wrap this up? You got any? You're just pushing this confetti project. Nothing new in terms of an immediate project on the horizon or anything. We got some new stuff coming. Confetti out now. Just dropped the Warsaw video. Mm. Through the night, featuring Bryson Tiller still booming. So everything's moving, man. Just so uh, we're pushing good music. That's the truth, ain't it? L.A. tonight, the Roxy sold out. Oh, word? Yep, Jake Paul's coming. It's going to be a schmovie. Jake Paul's coming? How'd you, you orchestrate know. that? You DM me, said you wanted to come. I said, come on. For real? Yeah. That's crazy. Couldn't wait to say it on here. I'm going to the Logan Paul fight on Saturday, and I'm very excited He's about fighting that. again? Yeah, he's fighting KSI at the Sable Center. Didn't he fight him already? Yeah, and it was a draw. Ugh. That's bread. If Smart. this one is a draw, I'm going to be so fucking mad. I will be so let down. Did you go to the first one? No, but I watched it, and... It was, I mean, shit. I feel like Logan has gotten so much bigger and better at boxing that I'm just like. So they're really boxing. Like I'm saying, they've been training. Yes, like oh, I, I feel like they're taking about as serious as you can because this is a professional it's fight at the too. Stable Center, they ought to. Yeah, and they and they are doing this one without headgear and smaller gloves, so it's like way more likely we're seeing somebody get knocked out. Incredible. If we see Logan Paul get knocked out, I mean, we might never see another meme again. That's going to be such a viral meme. Incredible. I can't wait. Shout out to the Paul family though. Um, Shit, Jack. It's been a pleasure, man. Coolest podcast in the world. Check us out on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes. Like, comment, subscribe. Nojumper.com. Tell your local dispensary to get this No Jumper Kush. And go buy a Kandama, too. Salute. Skirt.